When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. I'm John Cross of the Daily Mirror. Thanks so much for joining us um, this this week. Uh, nice to have your company alongside us. Plenty to discuss, of course. Manchester United, what a night for them um, uh, last night in Istanbul. Incredible story. What a developing story that, that might be for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Let's see how this week pans out. But plenty to reflect back upon. An amazing week again for Diego Jota at Liverpool. And let's talk about Harry Kane and Mo Salah. A few, uh, <laughs> it's really got people talking this week, really, about you know cheating, diving, winning penalties, being professional, that sort of thing, really. So plenty to discuss and digest uh, with my guests um, today. Delighted that I'm joined by my colleague, our Manchester man, David McDonnell. So um, did, we, did we see last night coming? Is that why we got him on, especially on board? Or maybe we're just clairvoyant. Andy Dunn, the um, chief sports writer of the Daily Mirror, and Jeremy Cross, uh, double cross, um, chief sports writer of the Daily Star. Delighted to have you with us, guys. There's only one place to start, really, and that has to be um, Manchester United on the back <clears throat> of um, that remarkable defeat to Istanbul. I don't really think anyone saw it coming particularly, did they? Um, Dave, let's let's start with you. What did, what did you make of it? I mean, I don't think anyone did see that result coming, did they? I mean, that first goal was crazy. It just seemed a calamitous night for Solskjaer, didn't it? Oh, it was. It was crossy. Uh, you're right, no one saw that coming. I mean, um, Istanbul, uh, you know, Turkish champions, but they hadn't you know, scored a goal or even picked up a point in the first two Champions League games. So, you know, United had really done the hard work in the previous two fixtures. You know, that amazing win away to PSG. And then, of course, beating RB Leipzig um, 5-0. You know, PSG last season's beaten finalists, Leipzig beaten semi-finalists. So, really, the hard work had been done. And, and really, you know, whilst, whilst no away game in Europe can be considered a gimme, you would have expected United to, with the quality they've got and, uh, you know, the players they've got back fit and, and, and available to play, you'd expect them to go there and win. And, and it was just... Yeah, it was such a shambolic performance. I don't think there's any other way to describe it. You know, the, as you said, the defending for the first goal, the lack of defending. I mean, I saw Rio Ferdinando, was it Paul Scholes said it was like under 10s defending. I mean, you know, it's just basic principles of defending, basic stuff. Uh, and of course, you leave Matic, you know, um, you know, trailing Denver Bar. You know, he's, he's not renowned for his pace, but I mean, you always leave a man or two back, um, you know, to, to, to sort of be, be wary of the counter-attack when you're taking the corner. And of course, that, 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 that was a shambles. Of course, the second goal, the second goal as well was 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 a poor one to concede. I mean, Mata gets a lot of stick for his poor first touch, which 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 uh, sets up the break for uh, for the goal. But it was a poor pass, a looping pass from Bruno Fernandes, who had another poor game. I mean, he was excellent, you know, from January onwards last season, but he's not had the best of starts this season. So yeah, there's loads of problems for Solskjaer. I mean, the Champions League has really been his salvation. You know, if he, if he if if he hadn't beaten PSG and RB Leipzig, you look at the Premier League, and you know, he, he may well have been gone already. Um, so that was really keeping keeping you know a, a, a gloss over the really poor Premier League form. But they've got a massive game now uh, at Everton on Saturday, um, which he has to win. I know we talk in our industry and you know people talk about must-win games, but that is the, the definition of a must-win game because they've already lost three in the Premier League. 
uh, all at home at Old Trafford. Uh, they cannot afford to, to lose further ground. They're down in 15th. So, yeah, it's a massive, massive game. Jeremy, you've written a lot about United, Solskjaer and, and also Pochettino. I mean, you know, Pochettino probably placed this and a job advert really for himself, didn't he, on, on Sky on Monday night. Where, where do you think we are with the manager and, and his future now and what might happen? Well, I'm led to believe that um, United have sounded out Pochettino uh, recently. They've denied it, obviously, but, you know, of course they would deny that because obviously it looks like they're going behind his back. I think the issue is, obviously, Woodward's appointed um, three managers in recent years and none of them have worked out um, in Moyes, uh, Van Gaal and um, Mourinho. So he, he, he will be very loath to sack uh, Solskjaer simply because he's got, you know, he's a legendary figure at the club for obvious reasons and um, he's popular with the players uh, and... Um, you know, he's a likeable guy. Um, and also, if he sacks him, it will mean um, he's admitting to another mistake uh, of the highest order in terms of managerial appointment. So that's probably what's holding him back at the minute. But every every week that goes by, you just think they're going nowhere under, under Solskjaer. He's had 101 games in charge. Um, and I, I don't know about Dave, what Dave thinks about it, but I, I just don't see any identity in the team. And that's a long, he's, two, he's, been, he's been in charge nearly two years now. He's not stamped his authority on the side. Um, they've made some strange signings. Some of the players that he, he has signed are not being treated very well. It just all seems a bit haphazard and, you know, he doesn't know what his best formation is. Um, he changes chops and changes the team a lot. Um, so, look, if I was Ed Woodward and Pochettino's out there and available for nothing, I would I would be pressing the button. I mean, I don't, it's a no-brainer to me. I think they need someone with Pochettino's authority um, to take them on to that next level because I don't think Sosa's capable of doing that. Yeah. Andy, I know it's a bugbear in mind, but <laughs> I just think Solskjaer's getting a, such an easy ride by comparison. If it were... Uh, uh, you know, a different manager. I think he'd be getting absolute pelters now, but because yeah. of, there's so many former teammates in the media, I just think he's getting a free hit. Yeah, it's yeah. always the players' ball. Uh, am I wrong? No, you know, you're not wrong. I mean, I mean, the the distinctive thing about um, we, we, me and Jeremy were at Old Trafford on on Sunday, and it's funny when you're there covering the game and you're thinking to yourself, you know, where the headline's going to be? It's going to be on that guy sat in the gantry, Roy Keane. He's going to come out with his usual stuff and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. And sure enough, he, 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 it was scattergun stuff. He had to go at everyone apart from Ollie. And, you know, he said, listen, these players are going to get Solskjaer the sack. That was his line, you know, which, well, well, actually, he has to take responsibility for those players. You know, it's, it's him who's not starting Cavani. It's him who hasn't started Van der, Van der Beek. It's him who picks the team. It's him who sets up a defensive formation that allowed that first goal to happen Last night, you know, and in the end, that's his responsibility. The book mm. stopped with, with him. It reminded me, it reminded me, I don't know, you, you guys remember in 2010 in Bloemfontein when, when Fabio Capello left Gareth Barry back as the, the, the lone man <laughs> and Metatosal ran around him as though he was a traffic cone and scored um, <laughs> Germany's third goal. We had Ashley Cole inside, if you remember, and Ashley Cole was, you know, the quickest man in the field. Well, leave him back. He left Gareth Barry and Gareth Barry, great player there. There he is and was, you know, he, he wasn't the man to, to be left back there, a bit like leaving Matic back there. And that has to come down to the coach. That's just training ground, standard stuff. 
Mm. I understand that. But yes, yes, John, I, I think I think he, he does escape from you know the the pundits who are ex-United. What what stands out for me is the when when they said about about Edward Wood um, will maybe like think about you know it, it looks bad on him if he sacks Ollie. I just don't get now the connection between Woodward. Um, the recruitment departments and Solskjaer. I mean, so so I, I mean, I've got a big bugbear about Cavani. You, you know, I mean, he, he's the most expensive free transfer since well, Alexis Sanchez. Fortune spent on him. He's supposed to be world class. He's supposed to be still hungry. Um, well, well, one way to find out is, is, is start him in a football team. You know, and, and he hasn't even started the game yet. Van der Beek, forty million pounds. You know, he's only reluctantly starting him now, and that strikes me as though. That's a manager who didn't particularly want those those two mm. players, and maybe he wanted. I'm pretty sure he wanted. By the way, every step of the way for the last two years, he wanted um, Erling Haaland, and mm. hasn't got him. It strikes me that there is no, I don't know, no joined up thinking between um, Solskjaer and the board, and and that's what you get. But I was shocked on. I mean, last night was poor, but I, I, you know, let's not forget how bad they were on Sunday. I mean, Arsenal mm. were okay. They were dis- disciplined. They were organised. They they had a plan, but United were terrible, absolutely terrible. And they looked as though they had. You know, and there he had a chance to change things. It clearly wasn't working. The formation was not working. The diamond wasn't working. The personnel were not working. And he didn't even change at half time. And he waited until I mean, pretty much until Arsenal had scored, and then changed it. And he he just looked as though he's basically just. Just scrambling around Francis that he can't find at the moment. Yeah, sure. D- Disco, there's a couple of players that I just wanted to mention. And and, and I mean, Dean Henderson started last night. What, what was Ole's reasoning behind that? And also then, you know, Harry Maguire, the, the drop in his form has been, you know, alarming to say the least, hasn't it? Not, you know, yeah. not just, I mean, generally, I think, not, not just the last few games. Yeah, I mean, with Henderson, I think obviously... You know he's he's come in and he what he wants Henderson to challenge De Gea and give De Gea that competition that that he's not really had since he since he joined United. Um, I think the thinking last night was that they don't have a, a cup game. I think I'm right until December now. I think so. Obviously De Gea is going to play the Premier League games. He's going to play the Champions League games. And having won the first two and given themselves you know uh, 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 some breathing space in terms of needing to get a, a result last night, I think he felt that was the. Uh, opportune time to give Henderson a, a, a start, and I thought, you know, you couldn't blame him for either goal. You know, he's left yeah. exposed by the defence on both occasions, and you know, he, he's, de- he's done well in the uh, EFL Cup games that he's played in. So I think that was a thinking there. Um, and you, I say you can't apportion too much blame at all on Henderson for what for the goals they conceded. With Maguire, I mean, it was interesting. He he was put up uh, by United for the the pre match press conference along with Solskjaer. That was and uh, that, yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> with United season. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean that that kind of mirrored their their really poor start to the season because, um, as, as you know, and maybe the the viewers and listeners don't know, it was obviously conducted on Zoom, but Solskjaer Maguire couldn't hear us. Uh, which you know, for a club of Manchester United <laughs> to not be able to get a Zoom call right, I mean, it just typifies the sort of you know the dysfunctionality that's 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 sort of you know beset the club at the moment. But um, Maguire, I mean, I asked him uh, about you know the summer he's had, obviously with the with the arrest and conviction in, in Mykonos and and the fallout from that. And I said, look, you know, how how hard has it been for you to cope with that and to focus on football? You know, and I, and I, I said to him in, in a kind of sympathetic way, I said, you know. It would surely be hard for anybody in any walk of life, let alone a high-profile footballer, you know, pl- playing in front of the world's media and millions of people watching around the world, to cope with that in their daily life. You know, going through such a trauma like that, 
Um, you know, so how has it been for you? And he, and he kind of, as you'd expect, I guess, he kind of, you know, trotted out the line, I'm fully focused, you know, yeah, it was a difficult summer, but I'm fully focused. But, you know, he's clearly not fully focused. I, mm. I think there is, has been a hangover um, from what happened in Mykonos. You know, you saw that with the, the sending off uh, for England as well against Denmark. You know, he, he's... You know, he was particularly stung, you know, by I think Roy Keane's comments about the lack of leaders. That was put to him as well, uh, and he, he he replied by saying there are plenty of leaders here. But I think also Maguire has played you know, virtually every single game for United in 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 the last sort of you know season and a bit, you know, since, since joining. Um, and I think you know people said you know he should maybe he should have been taken out of the firing line by Solskjaer to give him time to regroup mentally. Others in the in the game, you know, pundits were saying you know play through it. Solskjaer obviously chose to play him, play through it. Um, yeah, I think it looks like he could do with a break. But the trouble is, United haven't got the depth of, of, of centre-backs in terms of quality, in terms of reliability, that allows him to do that, that allows Solskjaer to take Maguire out. Lindelof had a back injury last night. Tuanzebi came in, but he's been out for 10 months, 11 months. Had that great game uh, you know, away to PSG. But he's obviously suffering from from that lack of you know, playing time in, in, in recent months. And that's that's bound to catch up with the player. Um, so I think... I think Solskjaer potentially would have liked to have rested Maguire, although he won't, he won't admit that publicly, and, and maybe taken him out of the final line to give him a physical and mental rest, but he just can't do it at the moment. No, sure. J- Jeremy, I was just going to ask you another aspect of Roy Keane's remarkable rant um, from Old Trafford on Sunday. Remarkable in my eyes, only because it was it, it was a remarkable achievement to uh, uh, talk about a game for so long with so much passion and yet not include the manager in any sort of criticism. Um, which I think they must say devalues him as a as a, as a pundit, really. But um, but anyway, you're, 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 you're not a fan of Solskjaer, are you, Crossley? Well, no, it's not that. Do you know? I actually think I actually think he comes across as a really nice guy, and I'd love to see the story unfold and it it turn into a you know be a romantic one. And so, see, who can knock Solskjaer for what he did in the second half of last season? Yeah. But come on, this is Man United. He can't be what? in fifteenth. And then I mean, the, you know, also excuse the manager of any absolvive of any blame. That's my, that's my point. But I think that the Keane did touch on an interesting point about the motivation of players. Now I put that a lot down to the to the manager, to to, to and he he questioned the players and the individuals and the motivation. Can they motivate themselves? Where where is the line, Jeremy? Do you think? What, what, you know, who, who, who's to blame on that? A team, ultimately, a team are a reflection of the manager, aren't they? Mm. In any sport, really, not just football. So, you know, like Dunny said on Sunday, the body language was so yeah. shocking, and at the end, there was quite a telling moment because Pogba had obviously conceded the penalty, which gave Arsenal the win, and he just moped off towards the end. He didn't shake anyone's hand. But what was telling about it was. Not one teammate went up to him to console him or put mm. their arm around him or say, listen, don't worry about it, mate. You know, let's move on. And you see that a lot of other, with, in other sides after games. You know, if players go to someone and try and make them feel better if they can. He just mo- he was just left to mope off on his own towards the dressing room. I thought, you know what? That's not a good sign, that. It just makes you think... Look, people at United keep telling me that he's the popular guy in the dressing room and all that, and I'm sure he is, but... That was, I thought that was quite telling on Sunday. Mm. And, um, you know, that's not good to see if you're a United fan because it's clear, there's clearly a discord with, between Pogba and some players. Mm. Um, but look, Solskjaer played under probably one of the greatest motivators there's ever been in Fergie, um, who never struggled to get the team fired up for big games. And I don't, Solskjaer clearly can't do it. And obviously, he's got yeah. Mike Creelan alongside him, who I'm, I'm still trying to work out what Phelan actually does at that place, to be honest. <laughs> Probably getting paid 500 grand a year. 
for sticking the cones out and standing in the technical area, waving his arms about, shouting instructions. I just, it's just all a bit too nicey nicey. Do you know what I mean? It's they the don't come across as tough. I like Solskjaer. I think he's a decent bloke, but he just doesn't strike me as being that sort of real hard nut manager that you need sometimes when times are tough. No, 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 sure. Andy, where, where do you see it going from here? Because United, long trip midweek, back straight back here. into it, Saturday lunchtime, Goodison yeah. Park. It's pretty unforgiving, isn't it? Pretty unforgiving. Probably not as unforgiving as it would be, obviously, with the crowd. Everton have had some good results against United at Goodison Park with, with the crowd. But, um, yeah, listen, where does it go? It, I, I agree with the guys. I mean, it's hard to see long-term how Solskjaer can be the answer. You, you know, I, I just think that... He suffers in comparison, for example. You're talking about the stature of United and you look at the stature of the club and then you, and then the manager. You look at Liverpool. I mean, everyone suffers in comparison to Klopp. But, you know, there really is such a stark difference. That, I mean, Jeremy talks about motivating the players. And, you know, you've got a man there at, at Liverpool, you know, a man United's fierce rivals for so many years, who is just, you know, peerless in the way he motivates players. You look at that team when they go out, you know, they just don't know how to get beat, apart from a Philip Park. But, but, but they, they don't know, you know, they don't know when they're beaten. They do all the things that Jeremy says didn't happen at United on Sunday, you know, in terms of geeing each other up and, uh, and supporting each other. And that comes from the manager. You know, that comes from the manager, you know, and big clubs have big name managers. And unfortunately, you know, United haven't got that. They haven't got what you would call a, you know, part of that managerial elite. He's not, you know, I mean, whereas Klopp is, Guardiola is, Jose Marino is, and then you go abroad and, and, and Ancelotti is to a certain extent and then et cetera, et cetera. And it's just hard to see now after so many games, how many, how many games, Premier League games are in charge? hundred, is it now? Yeah. Well, it was a hundred games overall yeah, it, on Sunday. So it's 101. And you just, you, 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 you just wonder for every, for every good performance, there's a really Poor performance that, that that just doesn't is, is not becoming of Manchester United. So, and as I say, it just everything just seems so obvious with Pochettino out there and and, and sort of flagging himself up on Monday. Um, it, it just wouldn't surprise you. I bet you couldn't get odds on it. No, I mean, no. I think I think I think Crossy. The other interesting thing is that mm. one, one way of looking at it is, you know, would would any of the other Premier League teams uh, swap Solskjaer for their boss? Mm. And you'd have to say no. Well, that tells you everything about standing. And as you said, nice guys he is. Um, you know, that's that, that's not the criteria for taking Manchester United back back to the top, which is his remit. Um, I mean, the, the other interesting thing is that he has shown himself in in big games, if you like, to have a knack of, of getting something out of them. You know, he did the double over City last season, did the, double, did the double over Chelsea, I think, in the Premier League. Obviously, the PSG game. You know, I think the season before last, I'm a bit confused now with all the dates, but he was the first, United were the first team to take points off Liverpool with that one-all draw um, at Old Trafford. Yeah. So he has got, obviously, some tactical nouts. And I do think um, that that players are letting him down. I think also as well, another point which I haven't touched upon is that he wasn't backed in the transfer market in the summer. Uh, and I think that that's a real factor here. You know, we know that Dunny, Dunny touched upon the fact that he wanted um, Haaland, he wanted Sancho. United took the stance there. They weren't prepared to pay what Dortmund wanted to Sancho in the in the post-COVID transfer market. That's that that's that's you know that's up to them. You know, they they felt that that, that it wasn't a realistic value, 120 million or 110 million. And that's fine. But, but you know, you look at Frank Lampard, who, you know, by, by comparison, I, I don't know what Chelsea's spend was, but it was close to 200 million, I think. Mm. It, you know, he got the backing, you know, signed all the players. And you're seeing the, the fruits of that now. You're seeing, you know, Chelsea, you know, was it unbeaten in 10, five clean sheets in a row, uh, really pushing on. 
Um, whereas I think, so I think there's an argument to suggest, yes, Solskjaer might not be, as Danny said, we, I think we all agree, he's not the long-term solution. I think you need a coach with a, a, a bigger pedigree than Solskjaer and a proven track record. Yeah. But I do, think he, I do think he was badly let down by the board um, in, in the summer in the market. And I think a lot of United fans have, have yeah. expressed that same view as well. If you Sorry, Joey, just, just quickly, I think that's a great point. You, you know, is it, that both those managers qualified for the Champions League immediately, immediately Chelsea said, right, who do you want? This and, and, and Frank's identified everyone, got them, got them, done them, done them early, middle, late, got everyone he wanted. And Solskjaer, I mean, you know, messing around, Van der Beek in and then Cavani, you know, at the last knockings. That is just, you know, um, I, I totally agree. He, he wasn't back. And it's just, it's so muddled some of the thinking I find, you know, for United. In the, I mean, Dean Henderson, what's that all about? You know, I mean, I mean Dean Henderson sort of comes back and they, they, they sign into a big new contract and then Henderson actually said to us, didn't he? Remember on an England um, Zoom call, well, listen, I'm not going there to be, um, I'm not going there to be num- number two. I will be number one. Well, he's not going to be number one. Yeah. So now United have got a prize asset, you know, sat there doing nothing, basically. It's just, it's just, it, 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 to me, it strikes as, you know, we, we've all had the briefings with Ed Woodward about how they go about their recruitment, you know, and we're meant to be, you know, convinced that they have actually got a, a structure um, and they plan, but it doesn't look like at the moment, does it? And I think also, say, uh, sorry, sorry, Crossy, just very, very briefly on the transfer situation. You know, four, four of the five transfers were done on deadline day. You know, this mm. has been the longest, you know, longest transfer window in history, I think. And yet, still, United were sort of grubbing around, getting deals done for Tellez, Cavani, and the two young wingers mm. on deadline day. I mean, it just beggars belief. Uh, it goes back to the point we all, we, we've all made that there's no, doesn't seem to be any coherent transfer strategy there whatsoever. Jeremy. Sorry. <laughs> Go on. Gonna say. <laughs> um, no, Disco touched on this earlier about the failure to back him in the summer window. I think that's quite a, a, a damning omen, that, because um, if you remember back to 2018, they did the same with Mourinho. Yeah. You know, were you on that tour, Disco, when Mourinho was seething about it, wasn't he? He pulled you guys down the corridor and let rip at Woodward. Yeah, I mean, that, that, not that, that, the that he wanted, and he was gone by, you know, and then then he had a bad run of results. And he was he was gone before Christmas, so you know we've seen history repeat itself in a lot of ways. And you're absolutely right, Crossy, because what's interesting as well, looking at previous transfer windows, every season after they qualify for the Champions League, United's transfer spend halves. Um, you know, so it's, it, like it, it's like the Glazers are saying, we're happy to be back in the competition. Exactly. And, Get the revenue from that, but we're not we're not going to take that next step and mm. sign the players that can actually make us go deep in the competition, and even try and yeah. win it. Heaven mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and it's, it's, it's the same mistakes or the same strategy yeah. being repeated over and over again. And you know, it'll, it'll happen with Solskjaer as well. He will eventually lose his job, and, and maybe Pochettino or whoever else you know, will come in. You've got to you also do, uh, ask the question though. Now, would Poch? I'm told he would take the job at United if he was offered it. But God, you'd have to if you're Pochettino, you'd be looking at United thinking. Is this the right move for me? I mean, yeah, you want some guarantees, don't you? Because what, honestly, guys, it's a great point, isn't it? Imagine yeah. sort of kind of, you know, you play fantasy football manager, something I never do, by the way. But um, but, but basically with Man United, you know, you've got Haaland up front. You know, that was yeah. doable. Yeah. You've got Sancho oh. on the on the wing. Doable. You know, you could oh. even look at, say, say Jude Bellingham. Do, doable. You know, and, the, the, you know, Thiago Silva. I mean, he's at Chelsea now. He's signed on a free transfer. Oh, what a difference he's made. Could have signed Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's I mean, just, you, you get some strategy together. This is Man United. Yes, everyone's been through difficult times. We, we understand that. We know that. 
But why why pursue Sancho for so long? I mean, that that one is the most bizarre one. You you knew that the, the Dortmund's price. Why why you know leave it alone? If you're not prepared to go there, leave it alone. Look somewhere else. Mm. And that that to me epitomised their mm. their lack of thinking. I just want to touch on on, on Chelsea guys before we sort mm. of move on. You know, I was at the Sta- at Stanford Bridge last night. Um, you, you know, it's five clean sheets. Mendy, not a conventional goalkeeper, but some good saves. Thiago Silva has, has really settled that defence down. Timo Werner, again, a really good summer signing. I, I know we talk a lot about Frank Lampard and kind of the jury's out on, on, on this panel. I'm massively in favour, others not quite so convinced. But it's really good, um, Jeremy, isn't it? I think about sort of the direction that, that, that the club is going in, Lampard is steering them towards. Yeah, look, I think they're, they're unbeaten in 11 games now, Chelsea, in all comps. So they're doing well in the Champions League. I know they've got probably, compared to some other English teams, they've got probably the easiest group out of the draw, but you've still mm. got to win the games uh, and get through because the pressures, the expectation is so high at Chelsea. Look, I, Lampard, I'm, I think the jury's still out on him, isn't it, really? He's, he's, he's a young manager. Like I think we said last week on the podcast, he's... Um, He's in a privileged position, I think, to have that job at such a young age and with such an experience. Um, but, you know, he's a club legend and um, he's signed a lot of players. He's been given the money to spend. He's admitted himself they've got a challenge for things this season, including the title. Um, I'm not sure sure they will, to be honest, but it takes time to, for players to settle down into new systems and he's still playing with it a bit, I think, really, but... I think the signs are good. Werner's starting to score goals now. He's got that remarkable pace, which you know mm. is, is a is a godsend for any forward. So he's he's guaranteed guaranteed <laughs> to get regular goals for Chelsea. So that's something he doesn't have to worry about. Mm. Um, like you say, Silver at the back is um, is a world class player. So you know what you're getting there. Um, so I think I'd prefer to make a judgment on it maybe in the new year to see yeah. where they're at then. Um, but yeah, the signs look good. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, Liverpool Andy on 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 Sunday. Diego Jota, mm. you know, does he start ahead of you know Roberto Firmino? Well, on form, you would select him ahead of Firmino. I I actually have a hunch. Everyone expects Jota to start. I have a hunch that actually no, he'll stick with Firmino. I thought I thought it was very interesting. Um, Klopp's comments after saying, "Listen, you know, don't be having to go Roberto Firmino just because Jota's come in and, uh, and scored a hat trick." He, he said, "We wouldn't be in the Champions League if it wasn't for Roberto Firmino." Yeah, and Klopp is an absolute brilliant man manager. We all Absolutely. know that. A yeah. fantastic man manager. I think it would send a really, really um, uh, a bad message to Firmino if, if Klopp left him out. It would be ruthless. Mm. But you know, bear in mind that it's a Liverpool team that they, they have have had their good days at City and I've had their bad days at City and when they've had their good days there you know um, it, it's basically those three players that triumvirate of Mane, Salah and Firmino has got has served Klopp so well yeah. has served Liverpool so well that I think for such a big game I think he'll play them and I yeah. think you know he'll be he'll be quite happy for Jota to come on you know after 60 minutes um, and have an impact I just think that for this game, he'll stick with those three. He'll have faith in Firmino. His man management will suggest to him, listen, you know, I I, I don't want to disenfranchise him at this stage. Um, and I, I think he'll start him. Having said that, you know, Jota, I, I mean, what a guy to come on from the bench. I mean, I still, I still don't quite understand that deal, why Wolves um, decided to let him go, you know, for, for a fee that wasn't exactly, you know, fortunes. Um mm-hmm. And it's a great sign. And again, you know, I mean, without going back to Manchester United, it, it, a 
again, it's how they suffer in comparison. Liverpool, everything, everything Liverpool's transfer department, headed by Michael Edwards, touches seems to turn to gold. You know, they 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 can just do no wrong. Yeah. Do you know what we've got an unashamed Wolves fan on our staff, haven't we, Alex Richards, who works on mm. on, on Mirror Football, and basically. It was interesting that he was saying the other day about kind of when when Jota is hot, he's hot. Yes. It's, it's the run of games without that basically, yeah. is, you know, that maybe make the weakness. Yeah. Maybe that's a factor in, in, the, in, in, in the price, you yeah. know, but, but he looks sensational at the moment. Don't forget, Johnny, you know, he, he wasn't, there were games when he wasn't starting for Wolves. Yeah. You know, so it, it's not as though, you know, it, it, it came as an absolute established world-class star we all knew he was very very good but again it's just you know it's just Klopp everything he touches you know everything everything he touches just just turns out right you know he can lose Virgil van Dijk and they and, and then they can go on a run of like you know half a dozen wins or whatever it is it's just remarkable yeah absolutely yeah um uh I, I was just also going to touch on the, the argument of the week guys <laughs> which is I mean you know We'll have a good chat on this one because I do think it's sort of kind of worthwhile. I was at the game on on, on Sunday actually, where Harry Kane, um, you know, fouled or otherwise, um, Adam Lallana. Then the previous day you had Mo Salah going down like a sack of potatoes. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was a clear foul, by the way. Um, right, the line between diving, cheating, and being professional, winning a penalty. Well, break it down for us, Disco. Where, where do yeah. where, where are we on on those? Well, I, I agree with you, Crossy. I don't think there's any doubt that that was a foul on on Salah. Where where it becomes um, dubious, if you like, or a grey area, is his reaction to that foul. Because I don't think that was a natural reaction. Anybody could agree that was a natural reaction. The way he he sort of allowed himself to fall. You know, he was obviously making sure the referee you know, was absolutely certain that that contact had been made. Uh, and the, the kind of trajectory, the way he sort of leapt and threw himself to the ground, that's what sparked this debate. Um, and I think the interesting thing is you have to sort of don't see these two things as mutually exclusive. You know, yes, it can be a foul, which I think it mm. was. And I think, you know, I think most people would agree it was. But yes, Salah could also have dived as well, you know, to yeah. accentuate that foul, to accentuate that, to, to and, and forward to it all the time. You know, I think we saw it as well. Um, in, uh, I mean, you mentioned the Harry Kane and, and uh, Adam Lalana one, but we saw it with Pogba and Bellerin. You know, that was a foul. But I think Bellerin, you know, again, look, he felt the contact, and 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 players when they feel the contact, their 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 first reaction is to make sure that the officials are aware of that contact, and so they accentuate the fall. That's where this 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 um, issue has arisen. You know, Salas wasn't a natural reaction to the contact. It was, um, you know, simulation, if you like. But then, be, then you become to, come to the situation. Well, you know, can you award a penalty for a foul? Which okay, okay, yes, it was. But also, except there was simulation. I mean, I don't know how 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 you would sort of you know deal with that. I mean, could you could you say at the same time it's a foul, but also you know simulation? So yeah, I think I, I think players have always done. I mean, I remember you know Glenn Hoddle, you know, before the ninety eight World Cup, you know, telling the players, look, we've got to be a bit more cynical mm-hmm. um, in terms of the dark arts. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got to be a bit more you know less less sort of English, British, if you like, and and you know the, these these great upstanding moral values, and we've got to go down like players on the continent do, and 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 really take advantage of that fact. Um, and so I think we're seeing more of that now, and that's obviously why the yellow card for simulation was brought in, um, you know, when it was. But I do think it makes the, the the job of a referee harder because you know you have you have players who yes they can be foul, but also they can be trying to con the ref at the same time, or making sure the referee is absolutely no doubt that that, that they've been fouled. Yeah. Jeremy, on, on on the Harry Kane one, 
I thought, and you know, I've seen various clips since that basically, I mean, there was another one on Cresswell where he back, backs mm. in. Isn't it an old centre forwards trick just to just to back into the defender, use his body to, to kind of then protect the ball in the air, which means then the defender has to clamber over him, basically, you know, on the ground or off it, and then that provokes the foul. Isn't isn't that, you know, the most basic centre forwards? you know, point yeah. of play. I just think there's, you know, Kane, I think, has, has had undue criticism for doing the oldest trick in the book. Well, look, in the 70s and 80s, number nines did that every week relentlessly. And it was must, mm. I mean, look, off the top of my head, I can't think of who, who the master of it was, but there'd be countless examples. That is, oh. if you were a manager, if you're Mourinho, you want Kane doing that, don't you? Mm. Because mm. he's got the advantage. If he's fouled, it's a penalty. He's in a great position. So, listen, I don't, I don't see an issue with it at all. Kane, for me, is a great number nine. Um, I know he's been playing in a slightly different role recently, but, you know, if Disco touched on it, though, I mean, you know, if if Harry Kane went down like a sack of spuds in a World Cup semi-final to win a penalty that got us to the World Cup final, who would complain about that? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't. Would you? No. No. I mean, there is, yeah, I, I have an issue with players who make a meal of things like Salah did uh, against West Ham. But, you know, sometimes players don't go down and, and yeah. when they're fouled. And what do they get from that? Sometimes it comes to nothing. They don't get what they deserve. So, no. it's, listen, it's a debate that will go on forever, isn't it, really? I yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, it, that's the point, though, Andy, isn't it? That If Salah doesn't react, yeah, it's the clearest foul ever, in uh, my uh, view. Uh, I, mean, I, 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 Again, yeah. again I, I, I was I was at that game, and and basically, you, you know, we chat amongst ourselves to say, okay, if he doesn't go down, if he stays on his feet, does Kevin Friend give the penalty? Well, no. I mean, it's not even not even a debate. Kevin Friend does not give that penalty if Mo Salah stays on his feet. So in the end, that feels like the end of the argument. I think Harry Kane's different. Harry Kane's different in what should be eliminating the situation with Harry Kane. Yes, okay, centre forwards have done it, you know, for time immemorial. Well. The thing is, VAR should cut that out. Because if you look at that again, on your pitch side monitors, a referee, you should not be given a penalty. Simple as that. I mean, just look at it again, and, and, and it is just not, uh, it's, it's not uh, an infringement by Adam Lallana. So that's what we should be doing. So basically, okay, people who make a meal of, of contact and go down, you know, basically to convince referee to remind them there's been contact, fine, that happens. But players who engineer the contact, Players who, who actually make the contact themselves and then fall over someone's leg or do what Kane did to Lalana, they're the things that should be eliminated. And now we can eliminate them through VAR. It's as simple as that. You know, they can be done away with. That's always my bugbear about 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 um, um, simulation. Is those people who who seek out someone's leg? We all know it. And 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 to be perfectly honest, yeah, Kane is an absolute pass master at it. I mean, he really is. You, you, you know, I mean, I mean, he might be an English sensible, but he is an absolute past master at doing that. I remember him doing it. I think, I think he did Anfield once. He is great at it. Now, mm. again, his manager will want him to do that, but now VAR can sort that out. VAR can actually decide. Well, hang on a minute. You actually went looking for that contact. Mm. You you went seeking out the defender's leg, or in in Lallana's case, to try and get him to fall fall over the top of you. And I think that, that that that's easily done, and and, and that's what should happen. I, I have to say, another thing is is that we all say, oh yeah, well, and another thing. <laughs> no, another thing. Just one more thing. I, 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 yeah, yeah, him, yeah, him never died. But, um, oh, one other thing 
is, is that you know the, the football's full of PR people, isn't it? I mean, I mean, you know, the, the, we all they're full of. There is a gap in the market, you know, for an honest player, a player who stays on his feet, a player who doesn't cheat. Mm. You, you know, I, I mean, like a cricketer who walks. You, you know what I mean? It, it it would just be great if someone came along. You know, if Salah said, "Well, you know what." I didn't get the penalty, but I stayed on my feet because it wasn't enough to, to put me down. And and you know what? I'm an honest guy. And I'm not just going to fall to the floor as though I've just been tasered by someone in the stands. It would <laughs> be nice, yeah. wouldn't it? There is well, a gap in the market for a honest guy. By the way, no manager would ever take them on, would they? I mean, like, I was going to say, he'd be dropped. No yeah, manager would ever take them on. It'd just be nice. You know, a bit of honesty, a bit of old-fashioned, like, you know, stiff up a lip, play up, play up and play the game. And honest, well, we saw, we, when you take one off to the keeper. But we saw that with Robbie Fowler, didn't we? I can't remember what year yes. that was. With, with, with the foul and with uh, Schmeichel, wasn't it? You know, yes, and, yeah. and, and he urged the referee to, to, to not give the foul because it wasn't yes. a foul. But you're right, we don't see that kind of honesty, honesty so much these days. Um, no, and it's a real shame, isn't it? It's a real shame that, like, you know, players, you know, basically, what I just don't like is, is so many good players, their first instinct when they get into the penalty area is to try and basically find contact and go down, you know, and that's, yeah. it just, and, 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 and the one last thing on that from me is, is that if they then complain, <laughs> if, sure? if, they, if they are spending their entire time trying to con referees, when it goes against them, I've got no sympathy for them whatsoever. Because if you spend your entire game trying to hoodwink and con referees, when a decision goes against you, then tough. You, you know, you, you, you basically... You, you basically made the benchmark there. That's it, what it's all about. And if you get done, then tough. Danny, I'm, I'm just amazed it's taken us 38 minutes to mention VAR. You know, we've been talking for almost 40 minutes. And it's not well, mentioned no, VAR. Yeah, I mean, I must say, the great thing about Sunday was, and, and, you know, this gets people irate, particularly sort of journalists on, on, on Twitter, when it emerges that actually VAR didn't check the foul Mm. And nor, frankly, under the VAR rules and guidance, it shouldn't check the foul because it wasn't a clear and obvious error. It was a judgment called by the referee, but it did check, you know, where the, where the the, the foul was taken, and that was exactly the same with what happened with Fabinho. Now mm. I know people get irate about that, but you cannot have every decision being re-refereed because yeah. when you have even some checked and re-refereed you end up with the absolute farce that we did actually have at White Hart Lane with you know Graham Scott who was horrendous a shocking referee making an appalling performance couldn't frankly he, he, he couldn't decide at one point in the second half whether he should put his right foot in front of the left I mean he was hopeless and mm. so he was, by the end he was relying on VAR for every decision but it just goes to show you that that basically there's just so much, you know, uh, subjected, you know, there's so much of a subjective nature to, to two decisions that, you know, people can't decide. But I do, I do think that we, the one area where I think we need to improve, I don't know whether, Jeremy, you agree with this, is that basically, you know, if, if a player is, you know, is nudged and tries to chase the ball, but is clearly fouled and then it goes out of play because he's been nudged, the referee and 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 I don't know, the officials have to step in at that point, don't they? Because that's one way that it would help out on the cheating and aspect. Yeah, look, of if the player's momentum's affected, mm. then it's a clear foul. So yep. I don't, I don't get why it's so difficult to work out. Really, mm. you know, we've got all the monitors in place. You know, numerous officials covering the game. It's, it's not hard to judge, is it? 
no, 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 no. I, I was going to ask you guys, what, what do you, you, you know, the um, uh, Premier League meeting today and also EFL, um, both, I mean, they've basically been, been called to account over the bailout, basically. Uh, got to explain themselves, almost like, the, you know, the naughty boys in front of headmaster to MPs next week um, as to why there's been no solution yet. I mean, is the government right to do this? Should football look after itself? Why on earth hasn't this been resolved? I don't know, you know, who wants to jump on this one? I think part of the issue is you've got Rick Parry, you know, formulating this master plan to, you know, overhaul English football, which involved obviously a £250 million bailout to the EFL. Um, that That got dismissed within a week of it surfacing so um the government are looking at that probably thinking well okay well they've come up with this plan to, to look after themselves and then they've shot it's been shot down by those it w- would affect so um they're look, probably looking at that and thinking well why are we why are we having to give them money when they operate in a game which is flooded with with money you know we've seen over a billion pounds spent again in the window on new signings so I just think there's a, there's, a, there's a a serious case of hypocrisy going on, really. But it will be amusing to see Richard Masters, the chief executive of the Premier League, go before a, a committee to, to try and explain himself. You know, that's not going to be a comfortable experience for Masters, I can assure you. No, that. No. Andy, what does he have to explain? What, what, what do the MPs say to him? Well, the, the MPs, you know what these committees are like. That's what, what I really don't like about them. What, what These committees are full of basically grandstanding MPs, you know, who know that it's their, their, you know, their 15 minutes of fame, their hour in the sun when they get to um, get involved in, in Premier League football, you know. Um, we've seen it so, so many times. Um, I guess they have to explain, you know, is the clubs across the country, you know, Clubs that are the heart of the community, lower league clubs, you know, they're going to need the help. That We know they need help. Mm. And the dilemma is really where the help should come from. I would like to see it come from the Premier League because basically I am, I am, I am really loath to have government involvement in it in the sense then that's a slippery slope when, when they start regulating football. Um, but if the Premier League don't, then, you know, I think it, it is be, it, the government will have to step in and help these clubs. You know, we can't see these clubs um, go to the wall. So Richard Masters will have to explain how they are going to come up with a a, a solution that, that will um, that will basically you know ensure that none of these clubs go to the wall. Um, and, and as Jeremy just said there, it's just so complicated because the, the problem is, you know, when the Premier League, quite rightly, and I, and I know, you know, we've all written about it, how, you know, they have to look after themselves first. You know, there's, there's clubs that aren't owned by, by you know, oil-rich states or by, you know, incredibly wealthy billionaire owners. There are clubs that are probably feeling the pinch in the Premier League. So why should they, you know, give give their money away? But having said that, we then see, like, you know, they're still probably going to pay about 250 million quid in agents' fees this, this transfer window, the same as they did in the previous two transfer windows. They're still paying players 300 grand a week, you know, and that's where politicians and the public will look at and go, well, what's going on? Mm-hmm. So it's incredibly complex. It, uh, I, I just think that, you know, and obviously we've had the complication of Project Big Picture, but, you know, the Premier League now has to, I, I, it, it's really tough, but they have to come up between them with a um, with a plan 
um, that is, it, it's going to basically ensure that none of these clubs go to the wall. And it's just so difficult. It really is. It's so difficult because, of course, then they want maybe a bit of quid pro quo from the government saying, well, listen, you want us to save our clubs. You want us to, to help out and save um, football as the Premier League. But then you're going back on, a, on what was a, a sort of unwritten promise that by October, you'll get fans back in your stadium. Now, you'd be lucky if you have to win by next October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the big, one of the big bugbears, and this was really spelt out to me in the, in, 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 in the strongest possible terms by a couple of people from the EFL last week, was that um, under Project Big, uh, sorry, <laughs> under Project Restart, there was a guarantee made in a room to the government that Football Wood and the Premier League would step in and help the 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 EFL and the League One, League Two clubs, um, and that is their bone of contention. That they insist that that's not then that promise has not been undertaken. When we're talking about grandstanding disco mm. and, and next week on on the kind of the committee, Rick Parry, I have to say, I think he's pretty pretty damn good at it. To be mm. honest, is is this a sort of a moral victory that he can win? Or has Rick Parry, you know, and and maybe Rick Parry's standing and reputation been, uh, erect, you know, basically been damaged for good, really, by um, but by Project Big Picture. Well, I think the issue here is transparency, isn't it? I think the, the sort of clandestine nature of the talks, as well, mm. you know, between Rick Parry and and, and the, the big six, you know, led by Manchester United, and Liverpool, was was what irked a lot of the Premier League clubs. And obviously they voted unanimously, I'll get my words out in a minute, uh, against it. Um, and, you know, and, and you can understand what, what the reasons why. Um, I think for Rick Parry, it, it, it really is a question of, you know, he had the support of the EFL clubs, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the, the £250 million, pound, you know, bailout, if you like, the rescue package that, that would have been part of a project, big picture. Um, but the issue for me is that, that you, you know, you're kind of dangling that that financial incentive, that financial inducement mm. in front of clubs who are desperate for it. Um, and I think we, we can all agree that, you know, Project Big Picture, despite the, the grandiose plans and the, and the, the sort of um, tacit or, or the the kind of um, pretense of, 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 of uh, preserving the football pyramid, was, was always going to, you know, um, put power in the hands of the big six and, and be to de- the detriment of the Football League, you know, the whole pyramid. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens. I and mean, obviously, you know, Richard Masters, um, you know, Greg Clark as well. He was obviously, um, you know, chairman of the FA. You know, again, it comes back to tran- transparency. You know, he says that he that he withdrew from the picture, the, the, the talks over project big picture. This is this is Greg Clark when it became apparent that there was a threat of a breakaway. I think what fans want, and, and what we as journalists want, and what everybody wants, is transparency, is a bit of honesty from all the players involved. And you know, I'm afraid, given the financial sums involved and given the power play involved, I don't think we're going to see that at all. I think yeah. one thing we've learned over this whole fiasco since COVID-19 came along is that people talked for years about the football family, didn't they? You know, yeah. But it's absolutely a myth, isn't it? I mean, when you think about it, we've seen football tear itself apart for the last six months. You know, obviously COVID's changed everything. It's exposed certain flaws in the game, how it's structured, how it's governed. And, you know, we've reached a point now where actually the game does have to help itself and it's just not been forthcoming. So anyone who still thinks that football could look after each other, it's absolute cobblers. 
Mm, yeah, sure. I'm going <laughs> to... There you go. <laughs> straight, <laughs> told it to you straight. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just going to touch on briefly England squad later uh, today. And listen, you know, there's a, lot, you know, there's a few sort of issues sort of outstanding, <laughs> you know, Foden, Greenwood and... Uh, you, you know, strikers perhaps now Ings is out. Who gets in? Who gets in there? Um, yeah, it, it'll be it'll be really interesting. You know, obviously Reese James is out, um, but there's one burning issue, which is probably a question for for, for Gareth Southgate. Really, Jordan Pickford. I mean, he's obviously going to be in the squad, but does Southgate then stick with him? As his number one, Andy, or did yeah. you know? Does he have to have, uh, have a look at it now that he's, you know, less? Yeah. Let's be honest here. Carlo, Carlo Ancelotti laid it on the line. He is no longer the unquestionable number one at Everton, is he? Yeah, but but slightly, slightly bizarrely, John Carlo Ancelotti also said he plays Saturday against yeah. Manchester United. Well, I actually then thought wait, wait, that wait, lent wait. itself lent itself to the to the notion that he is no longer unquestionable number one. Because it wasn't taking him out the firing line for one game. Carlo Ancelotti laid it on the line and said, I'm going to rotate him. Well, if you're going to rotate him, Pickford is no longer the undisputed no. number one. No, no, no. I, I, I'm not I, sure which is worse. But it's just, I mean, I mean just, just going off on a tangent slightly, I mean, I mean, Ancelotti, you know, for the first few games could do this season could do no wrong in Evertonian eyes. But even that raised a few eyebrows, I have to say. I mean, it, it, the idea that, 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 like, you can take a keeper out and then say, well, but you're going to be back in for this game. So in other words, the guy who comes in, Robin Olsen, you're going to have a half-decent game in Newcastle, but I'm taking you back out again, which is which is very odd. But there you go. Um, but going back to um, the England situation, yes, I mean, Southgate sticks with him. I mean, Southgate sticks with him because, let's face it, the bottom line is that results under Southgate with Pickford in the team have been good. It, 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 it's as simple as that. They, you, know, you know, they've been good. He hasn't, he hasn't let them down really at all you know there's been the odd sort of aberration you would you would suggest but you know nothing really really serious and Pickford has been and he also he's not the type of guy that he, he will allow what's happened at Everton to knock his confidence we all know him he's a he, you know he's, he's he's full of himself basically in a good way so no I, I, I'm particularly um, John I, I, as you think that you know the alternatives are Nick Pope who isn't who isn't in the best form at the moment no. and Dean Henderson you know, obviously played last night, but but isn't is is not in Manchester United's first team um, at all um, in the Premier League, whereas obviously Pickford has been. So no, he sticks with him, and and it is a it's not ideal situation for Southgate, but he can always point to Pickford's body of work as England goalkeeper and say, listen, on that evidence, I don't drop him. I pick him on England form, not on club form. It's not ideal because in the past Southgate has said he picks players on their form. At the moment, um, certainly outfield players, but I think he can make an exception in the goalkeeping department, and that's why he'll stick with him without a doubt. Yeah, Jer- Jeremy, do you, do you agree with that? Because it's interesting that Andy picked up on there that, that you know I think has gone largely under the radar a bit, but Pope would be a great, you know, uh, sort of kind of keeper to if he was in good form to come <laughs> in and sort of challenge. But the point is, this maybe you know underlines the problem facing Pickford is that Pope has made a couple of you know big rickets recently. But because he's not England number one, because he's the challenger, it's just not highlighted in the same way, is it? No. Look, we're back to pickle again, are we? And Southgate, I think. Andy, I do agree with a lot of Andy, what mm. Andy said, just said on Pickford. He hasn't let England down. No. You know, if you think of a mistake he made for England after, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I mean, so the issue is, 
he is now essentially saying Pickford is going to be my number one goalkeeper at the Euros next summer. Because if if he's thinking of giving someone else a chance to stake a claim for this for the team for for the Euros, surely by now he would have he would have given Henderson a run out or Pope, and that's not been the case. So. I think we can assume, barring a complete loss of form, that he will he will start between the posts uh, next summer. I, I don't understand, Jeremy. Why again? And going back to something we we touched on earlier um, in the show is, is 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 did Southgate have a conversation with Dean Henderson and say, "Listen, you need to be playing football this season." You know, on his form last season, playing every game, well, apart from the ones against the club who owned him. Um, that's another story, but I'm not going there now. Um, but. You know, did Southgate have the conversation with him and, and say before, just or did Henderson? We knew how much it meant to Henderson to get called up into that England senior squad. We all spoke to him, you know, in that call. We knew how much it meant to him. But then it means that much to him. Then he, he, he must surely know that if he spends an entire season on the bench at Manchester United, he's not going to be England's keeper at Euro 2020 in 21. And that's what he is determined to be. And, you, you, you know... So I just don't get that element to it. You know, Southgate, I think, would like nothing more than Dean Henderson. John said there about people challenging Pickford. Dean Henderson's the man to challenge Pickford, but he needs to be playing football. And not just just in an away game, you know, in the Champions League. I think a lot of it will boil down to what conversation Solskjaer had with Henderson about him coming back to Old Trafford. For all we know, he could have promised him more games, and he, yes. you know, and he's letting and him down, down. back on his word because we all know Solskjaer is is a massive, massive fan of De Gea and has shown so much faith in him. I mean, mm. I think De Gea should have been out of the team ages ago, really. But the, the, so yeah, the, it's an issue. It's then that it becomes an issue for Henderson because he's not playing for either yeah. club or country, and he's very, very ambitious. Is Henderson? Oh. We all know that. So he's, he's full of himself and very confident yes. in himself. So it's going to kill him over a long period of time. Then. I mean, the problem for Henderson. Sorry, guys, I'm back. I had some technical issues there, but I'm back now. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, but the problem, I think, as well, uh, touching on what Crossy just said there about Solskjaer and, and Henderson and, and the whole De Gea dynamic, is that you know, De Gea's form has actually improved this season. Mm. I mean, I, I, I know that's it, that that sounds a bit like of a you know strange given the way United have started this season, but he's actually been one of the better performers. And I think potentially, and I think as, as Crossy said, um, that conversation with Solskjaer and Henderson was probably, yeah, I want you to come back and I want you to challenge De Gea for the number one spot. Um, in the summer, so he came back, you know, fueled by that ambition and that 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 sense that he could actually usurp De Gea as United's number one. And of course, it hasn't transpired that way. You know, De Gea's form has actually, in my opinion, and you know, um, mm. warranted him keeping his place ahead of Henderson. Um, you know, for all the for all the England reasons and everything, I think De Gea's probably deserved to keep his place. And and perhaps the presence of Henderson has actually seen De Gea, you know, regroup, refocus, mm. uh, and not make the silly mistakes that he was making towards the back end of last season, which cast doubt on his. On, on his suitability to continue as number one. So I think that's an issue. But again, we touched on this at the start as well. Henderson has played what two EFL Cup games and obviously last night in the Champions League. I don't think they play an EFL Cup game again until December, is it? Maybe mid to late December. So he's, he's only going to play Yeah, he's only going to play three games for Manchester United. Uh this this you know this calendar well this cal- yeah this calendar year until until the turn of the year. Now that can't be good for his England prospects yeah. as, as as you guys have said. No. Rossi, if you were if you were Southgate, would you not give um, Henderson a game against the Irish just to see take a look at him? Yeah, I would. I would. Uh, I, I would. I'd also be looking 
Listen, I, I think that Gareth Southgate, of all the three keepers, probably rates Henderson uh, as the biggest prospect. I do. Um, but he doesn't know, you know, and he can't turn to him because he's not playing regularly. Mm. I just feel that, you know, at the moment, there's a sort of a sense of unfulfillment. He could play him against the Irish, and he, maybe he might. I think, he, you know, I think he'll definitely, you know, change a few against mm. the Irish. And so may, maybe that'll give, that'll give Henderson the opening. But for Henderson, he must be thinking, where's my career going with this one? Because, you know, as we all discussed, he's so ambitious. Mm. And you need that. You do need that as a goalkeeper. You need that self-belief. Don't forget, but, though, when you know, England I think, I think to... we're back to, 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 to a pretty not great place, whereas I think the goalkeepers are coming along nicely. Thank you. England when um, we went to Russia in 2018, Pickford had only won two or three caps. Yeah, England, yeah. So, you know, it's not beyond Southgate to throw someone in. I mean, and Pickford obviously was great in Russia, helped us get to the last four. So who knows? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Guys, final subject. I'm going to look at the the game of the weekend. Um, Man City, Liverpool. Um, and I, I kind of, you know, I want a few memories of this one. And then basically, you know, the best game to date, really. Because I don't know about you guys, but is this the new Arsenal Man United sort of the early noughties when basically, that, that, you know, that was that was the title decider? Is this still the title decider? It certainly has been the last couple, two or three seasons. But the way... Uh, City have started and I don't know but um, you, you know what, what's your best memory of these games and what decides it on Sunday Disco? Uh, I think what decides it on Sunday is you know how Liverpool cope with the the, the lack of defensive personnel um, you know obviously Van Dijk's missing Fabinho's missing um, he played young 19 year old Reese Williams the other night didn't he who looked, looked mm. really good and, and, and I think that, that's, that's all credit to Klopp um, for, for putting faith although you know, he probably hasn't got many other options. Putting faith in such a young defender, uh, I think that that will come. That that will be a key factor. How Liverpool cope, you know, with uh, defensively with, with with the loss of you know two key defenders, um, and I think for City as well, it's a must-win game. They're already five points behind. I know we're, we're in the early stages of a very turbulent and strange season, uh, where there are going to be lots of twists and turns, and it's not going to be the usual you know two-horse race as it has been the last three seasons, where you know Liverpool and City streak away from everybody, and that's a battle between the two of them. You won't see any, anywhere near the points total that they've amassed in the last three seasons. I think it'll be, you know, nudging 90 points will probably win the league this season, you know, because of because of the points they've dropped already and the and and the injuries they've both suffered. Um, so I think, yeah, I do think City and Liverpool will finish one or two. I don't know in which order, um, but I do think, you know, if you know, those, those are the two teams still to beat. Um, uh, is it title decided? No, because there, there, there is a lot of scope. You know, we're only six, seven games in, so there's a lot of scope and, and, and games to be played. Uh, but I do think City can't afford to fall too far behind Liverpool. You know, five mm. points already. That becomes a suddenly that becomes a psychological gap that, you know, whilst they can bridge it, um, you don't want to be letting Liverpool have any kind of lead, uh, even accounting for the injury problems they've got. Yeah, Jeremy. I mean, they, they, we've already had some super games between these these two. I mean, City certainly had the final say, didn't they, at the end of last season in that game at the at the Etihad? Really, are, are they are they finally matched? You know, it, it, it's you know, are they sort of e equally poised at, at, at the moment? Do you think they are? Look, uh, two seasons ago, that finish to the season was absolutely remarkable. I don't think you'll ever see a, a season like that. City pipped them by a point. They won the last 14 games, I think, to, to beat Liverpool to the title. Yeah, they are. They've both got their injury issues. Obviously, Aguero's missing for um, City, or has been. He's the suggestion he could be back in the squad on um, on Sunday. 
he's been a big loss for them and replacing him is going to be the next massive decision that the City owners have to make in uh, probably next summer, actually. But yeah, there's not not a lot to choose between them. I think Liverpool are a better drill team at the minute. They seem to have more consistency. I don't know about Disco, but what thinks about City, but we see a lot of them and they're, they're playing okay. I'm not. They're not blowing teams away. They played in the Champions League on Tuesday against Olympiacos and they ended up winning 3-0, but for... In the second half, the game was evenly poised at 1-0. Yeah. Olympiacos missed two or three openings to, to get an equaliser and it could have, the result could have been so much different. I just don't think City have that fear factor anymore that they had two, two or three seasons ago. And I, I don't know why. I think they've made some poor signings. They've not replaced good players with the same level of player, if you, if you know what I mean. But look, there's little to choose between them and you can never write off City because they've got so much world-class quality in that team. And I think the game, listen, if City, Disco's right, City City can't afford to lose. A draw wouldn't be a disaster, but um, we've got a game in hand, obviously, on Liverpool. So if they beat Liverpool on um, Sunday, win the game in hand, they'll, they'll, they'll be above Liverpool. So um, there's a long way to go. It's a tough one. Don't ask me who's going to win because I don't know. It'll be cagey, obviously. I hope it's a great game. We've seen some absolute belters between these two down the years. And um, it's a great rivalry. It's just a shame that Klopp and um, Guardiola don't argue a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, I'm going I'm to finish with you, if I may. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm going to ask you for, for, for a prediction, really, and see how you go and, and, uh, and, and see the, you know, how, how you think the game will actually pan out too. I think Liverpool, Liverpool will win the game and Liverpool will win the league. And, and, and I just do not get this. Honestly, if you, I haven't checked them this morning. I don't check them every morning. But I still see Manchester City slightly ahead of Liverpool every time I look in the odds for the Premier League. It is just baffling. I mean, Liverpool are a huge step ahead of Manchester City. You know, and, and anyone who says otherwise, I just do not get their reasoning. Mm. You, you know, OK, Liverpool have had one aberration at Aston Villa away, and it really was a freakish aberration. But they are better defensively. You know, you know they are they, they are better they are better organised. You know, I mean, City still concede daft goals at crucial times. And you know what? I, I, you, you spoke about great games between Man City and Liverpool, but I remember the, the second leg of the European game um, two years ago when Liverpool already won the first leg. Was it 3 0? I think they won the first leg. Yeah. Mm. And Jesus scored early on in the return leg. It was a great atmosphere. <laughs> and they could have got level. Did they have a, a decision go against them, City, um, towards the end of the first half? I can't remember exactly what it was, but they might have got them to 2 0. And then yeah. Liverpool in the second half come out and it was the guy we were talking about before he scored, I think. I think Sardin Firmino scored to make it 2-1. It just sort of symbolised to me how, OK, you know, you, you mentioned that result of the Etihad towards the end of last season. That's when Liverpool were already champions and they were hung over that game, if you remember. Mm. I mean, I mean, I mean, literally and metaphorically, they were hung over that <laughs> game. I, I, Andy Robertson, you know, famously was like, you know, Zigzagging down the wing, not in an intentional sort of way. <laughs> they, weren't, they, weren't, they, weren't, they weren't the only ones, Crossy, were they? <laughs> <laughs> so, and I just think the club has got a bit of a hold over Guardiola, and I think the team is just a better team all, all, all round. Listen, I think Manchester City are a more attractive team, and I, I, if you gave me, you know, you know, if you said, right, you've got to spend twenty pounds to watch one or the other, I'd probably watch City. But if you said to me, who's the better team, and you've got twenty pounds to bet on them, it would be Liverpool. And I and I, and I, I genuinely think that I genuinely think that they are still City still just so I don't know susceptible to giving the the, the, the odd daft goal away and and that will cost them 
Um, and I think Liverpool will win. I, I would, I would, I would suggest that actually. Now I mention that European game, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a repeat of that scoreline: City one, Liverpool two. Well, Donny, do, well. Donny, do, do you mm. think that the, the loss of Van Dijk, which is looking like for a sustained period, and Fabinho, is a kind of levelling up in the sense because City have strengthened in that in that area, haven't they? They've got Diaz in who looks looks a, a really good signing, mm. and, and and Laporte, and that looks like the foundation or the basis of a really good central defensive partnership. It, it does, it does this guy. You know, it's funny. I I went to Leeds Man City and um, Diaz. Um, was it not get no? I'm, I'm no, no. Sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm getting totally confused. A city against Porto, when Diaz gave the ball away for the yeah. first goal, and I yeah. thought to myself, there is, is, is City been crying out, or we've been crying out, or pundits, or the public have been crying out. City need a no nonsense centre half. With Diaz, yeah. looks doesn't he? He looks a traditional yeah. no nonsense centre half. Just does the basics, strong, good in the air, gets rid. But then when you, but then Pep will try and get him to play like Beckenbauer, won't he? And then when he starts yeah. trying to pass the ball around, you know, there's a mistake in there. So, yeah, I, I, I do agree with that, Disco. But, but but the thing is, what what you would say, you know, since Van Dijk's been out, they haven't really looked back Liverpool, have they? Yeah. You know, and, and, yeah. And, and they tend to defend from the front. Yeah. So basically, you know, they're, they're not... They're, they're, when Gomez is exposed, as he was maybe early on against West Ham and made that mistake, when the likes of Gomez and the full-backs are exposed, they might be vulnerable. However... They just defend so well up top that you know those three set the 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 tempo for that defending. The midfield follows suit, and they're very very rarely vulnerable. So um, yes, it is a loss, obviously, but um, I think they've shown they're going to cope with it. That's for sure. Yeah. What's I'm your still, prediction, I'm... John? Oh, my prediction. I'm going to sit horribly on the uh, fence here uh, and think it's oh, going again. to be a draw. Crossy, crossy, I think it's on. going to be a 2-2 draw. I, I, listen, I, I'd love to see City come back and be real challengers. I don't see it this season. I don't I don't see it this season. I think they I think they really needed to back Guardiola. And yes, they have done that to a degree, but I think the uncertainty over Guardiola's long-term future uh you know, I I don't think their transfer business it was as dynamic and as exciting as I, as, as, as I thought and hoped it might be to, to kind of make it a really tight, tight race again. But I just, I do think that, that Liverpool have got issues at the back, so they will concede goals. But I still think that Liverpool win the league and they'll ultimately be a better team than City. But I'm not even sure that City will be um, Liverpool's tight, you know, closest challengers this season, which is, which is a shame. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I tell you what, what about Leicester? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely flying, you yeah. know. I mean, it's it's yeah, incredible. It's Tottenham, time, Tottenham, yeah. Did a column you know, on Tottenham on the on yeah. Tottenham on the blind side a little bit. I think it's going to be a great season because yeah, too, you know it's, it's so unpredictable. There's mad results. I mean, obviously you've got to fancy Liverpool to win the title. I'm sure they will, but there's yeah. going to be four or five, six other clubs jostling around underneath. So should mm. be good. Make yeah. Liverpool winning by ten points. Yeah, I think I think Liverpool. I mean, will Liverpool win it, but I, I yeah. think I think Liverpool will win it. And I, I know it, it, it's great, but I just I don't see them not winning it by a, a handsome margin again. No, no, I think it'll be a fascinating season, guys. That's it. Thanks so much indeed for for joining me, and thanks everyone out there for watching as well. So really appreciate you joining us. So uh, plenty to discuss, and we we'll look back and look forward. So so really appreciate it. Thanks very much indeed for everyone's company, and uh, see you again same time, same place next week. 